Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. Optimism is in the air, ladies and gentlemen. Penn State Football just a couple weeks away. Big time show for you today. We got a five-star reviews that we got to talk about. We got some fan questions we got to talk about. We got a preview Indiana. We got a preview Rutgers. And it was Penn State Media Day this past Saturday. Got a lot of new information. And guys, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel pretty good about this Penn State football team. Let's get Sean in here real quick, and let's start the podcast. Welcome in Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm Corey Lestoki, and with me, as always, Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Corey, I love that introduction. I'm doing wonderful. How about you? Doing great. I'm doing great. Sean, it was uh, it's my birthday on Saturday, and yes. um, it made me think for a second. If, if you were given, if it was your birthday, and I told you you could have <clears throat> like one thing to be improved on this Penn State football team, like one position that you wouldn't have to worry about going into 2022 or, or would get an improvement or it would just be something you didn't have to worry about, what would that one position group, and not even position group, let's go specific position, uh, what would that okay. one wish be? I'm granting you one birthday wish. You blow those candles out. What are you, uh, what are you wishing for? Um, I'll go middle linebacker because middle linebacker is quarterback of your defense they uh and we are very inexperienced there and i'm not saying i'm actually pretty excited about kobe king i I think we texted privately about him um that he reminds that he reminds me a lot of uh jason cabinda um but he's still going to be a first year guy playing there uh tyler ellison could be the guy there too so i'd probably go middle linebacker very tempted to say uh, offensive guard, um, and just knowing that we have a viable, uh, 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 especially a left guard going into camp, but middle linebacker, just having that quarterback of your defense, that would probably be what my gift would be. How about you? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I'd probably go Sam, just because I, I like that. We talk. I mean, we talk a lot about. The disdain for Jonathan Sutherland, I feel like it's not fair because he hasn't played a snap yet in real football at that position. So, who are we to judge? No, no, I think it's fair to judge. Um, that being that's said, why we have I just, yeah, that's, I mean, that's why we're here. We're here to judge. My thing is this about that position. So, Abdul Carter is, is going to be there. Uh, Budden is going to be there, I believe. My question is, why... 
we know Curtis Jacobs can play that position. Um, and we know Curtis Jacobs will be fine at the will too. But Charlie Catchier is is Curtis Jacobs' backup, if I'm not mistaken, at the will, right? That... Yes. So maybe he's not much better because obviously he's had a career full of injuries, unfortunately. But my thought was maybe he should be playing over at the Sam spot, or at least backing up Sutherland there, and then you put in a you know an Abdul Carter or somebody else to back up Curtis Jacobs because you feel better about Jacobs being at that position. Now, I know they're they're not necessarily uh, – what's the word I'm looking You can't necessarily just flip-flop everybody like that. But my thoughts are just like, why – I just feel like we're – everybody's just all in on Sutherland. Like, we're going to get talk about media day, which just happened yesterday quite a bit. But I just don't understand why nobody's talking about the lack of competition or maybe there is competition, but no one's really speaking about it. Um, and I don't really know why everyone's talking about the Mike linebacker spot, which again, rightfully so, because two guys there, neither of them have started before. So that's going to be a big deal, but also Sutherland's never started at the Sam before. And we're just, just assuming he's going to be okay there. And obviously we're not assuming that we don't think he is going to be okay there, but why has there not been more talk about the competition there? Um, and they said, you know, Carter is doing really well and he had a nice little one handed catch yesterday. I think Audrey Snyder posted that video. Um, linebackers were on a jugs machine yesterday. Um, but I'm just like, what, why are we not, why is that not being brought up more? So if I was wishing for something, I would wish, I mean, and you know, let's be honest. Like, I'd be love fantastic. If Jonathan Southern comes out and I would eat crow the entire season and he ends up being an all American. Um, but that'd be my wish for him to become a, a superstar or for someone else to step up and, and take control of that position. Because, that to me is my. I'm more concerned about that spot than I am the Mike spot. Not. I'm not. No, I agree. I think the Mike is more important. To your point, but I think I'm more worried at this point with the Sam spot than I am the Mike spot. Which, that's just because I don't have faith yet in Jonathan Sullivan. And it's a. It's not that he can't do it, or he he doesn't have the ability to do it. I just he hasn't proven anything in his career to me, and especially in the blue and white game where I'm feeling very good about that. So that's the only position. Really, the only position that I'm like, oh, Lord, are we in trouble? Maybe offensive tackle, but otherwise, Sean, I think the team's looking pretty good. I was just curious. That was my, uh, you know, my birthday thought process there. Uh, a lot to talk about today, Sean. We've got uh, some five-star reviews we're about to get into in a second. We've got some fan questions. We've got to preview Indiana and Rutgers. And I know people are like, Rutgers, why are you going out of order? Well, because I messed up. Um, obviously Indiana play Penn State plays Indiana after Ohio State and then they play Maryland and then they play Rutgers um, but I had told Sean Rutgers and I had prepared for Rutgers so we're going to talk about Rutgers at the end of this episode today um, and then obviously some Penn State media day stuff sprinkled in throughout so let's start with the five-star reviews because I don't want to forget them and I think they're really good this week I also want to say I put this out on social media. If you're not following us at Hardcore PSUFB or on Facebook or wherever else, um, we are giving away Hardcore Penn State football stickers, which, by the way, Sean, I haven't ordered yours yet. So my bad. Uh, We'll get to it. We are giving out stickers. (laughs) Uh, Well, time, Corey. Yeah. I did, however, give out two two people that have already submitted reviews. Um, But up to 10, so I guess we have eight left. 
if you submit a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I guess we'll do five-star ratings on Spotify, although I don't feel like those are as common. Anywho, show us proof. Obviously, if you write a review, we'll see it. So that's easy proof. But if you screenshot it, just DM us or whatever. That works as well. We will send you a hardcore Penn State football sticker to get you prepared for the season. Um, and obviously, we just came out with those stickers. They are on our merch store. Um, not much else left in the merch store right now. I think we just have the stickers. But um, I got some things down the pipeline that I'm not ready to talk about yet. But I got something up my sleeve, and I'm kind of excited about it. John, you don't know anything about it. Um because I haven't told you, but I'm pretty excited about that. Anywho, go drop a five star review. That's awesome. We'll uh, we'll read it on the show, and we'll send you a sticker. So there's no real reason not to. If you're if you've been listening to the show now, which I know a lot of people have been lately, and we appreciate that, just drop us a five star review. Helps us out. Helps you out. Helps everybody out. Anywho, we have two to read. Um, let's go with the shorter one first. Uh, this was from JCW seven eight nine seven. I want to say this is uh, Justin, who's on Facebook. I want to. I, I could be wrong, but um, anywho. Title of it says, Awesome Penn State Podcast, five stars. A must if you like Penn State football. Great podcast covering everything from recruiting to the offseason. Which is true, because we actually haven't covered any actual Penn State football games, Sean, uh, since we've started this Penn State-focused podcast in January, so... We haven't really covered a game. Um, the second one, and Sean, I sent this one to you specifically this morning. Maybe I sent you both. I posted this one on social media because it was it was meaty. It was delicious. This is from Duke of Nuke six six six, the Beast. Um, title is a fantastic source for everything Penn State football. I'm assuming uh, five stars. This is by a large margin. One of the best Penn State football shows on the podcast scene. I've bounced around from unrivaled podcasts to dear old state, and this podcast easily belongs in the same tier. The insight given by Corey and Sean is truly fantastic because it's a combination of realistic, fact-based analysis blended with their down-to-earth personalities. I learn new things about Penn State football every single time I sit down and listen to this podcast, and I thought I already knew a lot. Me too, Sean. Or, me too, Duke of Nuke. Um, it is very hard to find passionate Penn State fans that remain as realistic and honest as these two. I've enjoyed listening to these shows on all my road trips this summer, and I look forward to the season ahead with both of you at the helm. We are. So thank you, Duke of Nuke. I'm not actually sure who that was, um, but thank you for that. If you haven't, Duke of Nuke, please DM us on Twitter or Facebook, and we will get you a sticker. There was one other person that submitted one. I don't know if it's shown up yet or not. Um, so maybe I know who this is, but I don't know who Duke of Nuke is specifically. So, um, Sean, what are your thoughts on those two five-star reviews? Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you uh, for both of those uh, both of those uh, reviews. Um, and that's, that's why we do it. Uh, we want to put good content out for everybody. Um, we both put a lot into this. Um, in doing our research and looking at different things and to get that feedback it means it means the world to us and that's really um what duke and nuke said uh that's kind of what i think we try to do uh bring facts to the table and we have a lot of takes but we try to back up all those takes and we do it in a fun way a down-to-earth way and we 
neither one of us are the um, the end-all, be-all of Penn State football, and we learn a lot of things along the way as well. And we want to bring um, we want to bring at least what I and I think Corey tries to do this too. You know, we're not journalists; we are fans, and we're fans that are very passionate about Penn State football, and we try to bring a fan's perspective to this. And I tr- and what I try to do is give my perspective. And I think a lot of fans share at least some of my opinions. And I try to, being that I have this little platform here, I try to be the voice, the, the voice of some fans. So thank you both for listening. It really means the world to us. Yes, thank everyone for listening. I mean, it's been yes, everybody like an exponential growth here in the last month or two. So thank you very much. This last week's episode was the best of all time, and the previous week's episode was the best of all time before that. So um, it's really exciting, and we appreciate it. Um, I will just kind of critique one thing you said, Sean. I do think I know everything, so let's let's make sure we get the record straight there. Um, and I cannot learn right. any more. Corey I, is the source for everything. Yes, except for thinking Rutgers, we played Rutgers before Maryland. So. <laughs> um, we did have some fan questions as well that we like to get to. And I think it's a good way to start. And also maybe just, it's not going to be a huge recruiting episode, but I thought we could talk. One of these questions was about kind of recruiting. So I think that's a good way to ask the question. We can kind of just wrap up recruiting real quick because obviously not as much going on. Um, but I think it's a it's a good way to kind of uh, to fit it in. So. Let's go to the first question, and this is from J.P. Lyons on Twitter. What's going on with the offensive tackle recruiting? We keep striking out. Sean, I think this is a fair-ish question, and I think we maybe talked about it a little bit last week. I'm not really sure, but... Or no, you know what? I think we just texted about it, but regardless, I think the offensive tackle recruiting is going to be a tough one because and it has been a tough one because there's not a lot to really show for it, right? Like we can point to a lot of defensive players in the NFL and you know, especially at the edge position and feel good about that moving forward. Maybe only Ohio State and a couple other schools are really recruiting better than Penn State at that position. But when you talk about the offensive tackle position, that's been a place where Penn State struggled. I mean, pretty much from the get go, from from always. Um I think it's getting better. Now, it's is it at the level it needs to be to be competing in the top ten every year? No. Um, but I think it's getting better now. Why this question was asked was four star, maybe I don't think he's a five star, but four star, highly rated four star. Um, Evan Link committed to Michigan this past week. At one point, seemed like he was a. I, I think Sean, he didn't he commit like a couple hours after we posted the podcast. I think so. Um, yep. Yep, and, and, and we were hinted that he was leaning towards Michigan, but we talked about him a pretty good amount last week. So JP Lyons, first of all, go back and listen to last week's episode if you missed it, um, because we did talk about the offensive tackle kind of position and and what needs to happen moving forward. But we kind of knew he was, as soon as he was a lean for Penn State for a month and a half and he never committed, I mean, we thought he was going to commit in sometime in July. And that's one of the reasons why I lost that bet for the five and a half over on commits in July. So thank you, Evan Link, for that. He's probably listened, and that's why he committed to Michigan. Anyway, um, I think it's tough, though, to really be upset with the recruiting of the offensive tackle position because we haven't had any consistency, A, with the coaching staff, 
um, and obviously B with our level of play. So we don't have anything to really, you know, prove it with. We have a couple guys now in the NFL, but we don't have very much tape to show these guys and say, hey, look, you could be the next blah, blah, blah. I mean, I guess you could go with uh, Donovan Smith, but or maybe Ryan Bates now who got another contract with Buffalo. But otherwise, there's not a bunch of guys. I think Connor McGovern might start a guard for the Cowboys, by the way. Um, but there's not a bunch of guys that you can point to and be like, yeah, these guys are now playing, and this is why you should come. Secondly, we've had so many different offensive line coaches. I mean, offensive line is one of the biggest positions that you need consistency from. And that that stems to the offensive coordinator, too, because the running scheme changes. Everything changes when you get new offensive coordinators. So new offensive coordinators plus new offensive line coaches, it's very hard to get consistency there. And some of these guys had three different or four different coaches between offensive line and offensive coordinators in just the last couple of years. And I think that doesn't help when it comes to recruiting either. Um, so that's, I think, why it's been so bad. Sean, maybe you can add to that, but also maybe talk about where we can go from here. Sure. And JP asked a million-dollar question, why are we struggling with offensive tackle recruiting? And I agree with a, lot, with a lot of what Corey said. There aren't a lot of guys that we could point to and say, look, we developed this guy, and he's an all-pro offensive tackle. Um, like I said, we have Ryan Bates, we have Donovan Smith, so we do have guys, but not not to the extent that we've done linebacker, running back, defensive end, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this has been a problem going back to the Matt Limegrove days. Um, we've had we've in in college football, you go through a lot of position coaches. Penn State fans know that. We've had a ton of different receivers coaches, a lot of different running backs coaches. Um, since Herb Hand left after 2015, we've only had two offensive line coaches. We've had Matt Langrover for, I think we had him for four or five years, which is quite a while for a position coach. And um, we parted ways with him. And then Penn State hired Phil Troutwine. And it's been... Like I said, it's been an issue recruiting offensive tackle since those days. And a lot of it does have to do with um, not being able to develop offensive tackles. But then it kind of becomes a circle effect where high-profile high recruits don't want to come to play offensive tackle for Penn State. Then we get lower-level recruits who aren't as good. and the circle continues and then we have lower level talent coming in at offensive tackle who can't produce then we have to do things like move Caden Wallace from guard to tackle and I'm like a broken record with that and we have to do things like move like last year we had to put now he's back guard this year but we had to move Landon Tangwall from guard to tackle so you have guards playing tackles then because you're not getting that high level talent at the offensive tackle position um, and so how do we break that? How do we break that? Um, I think you just got to keep, you just got to keep going back to the well. I'll give Phil Troutwine this, and I've been critical of him. He has recruited the offensive line much better than Matt Langrover had. And I think you're going to, I think, I hope against hope, you're going to start seeing that paying off in the, in, in um, hopefully this year and then 
you asked me, where do we go from here? Well, guys, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of offers out to too many offensive tackles right now. Uh, we missed out on Evan Link, like we talked about, and uh, Stanson Vermeil, who we talked about a little bit on this podcast. I never really thought he was coming to Penn State. He ended up going to Michigan State. So, yeah, we're kind of... And most of the, our offensive line targets are either offensive tackle targets um, are either not coming to Penn State. Um, guys like uh, Samson Okanawa or um, or they're committed elsewhere. Uh, like Caden Proctor, he committed to Iowa. So we're, I wouldn't shock me to see us look at Lackawanna to see what they have. And look at the junior college ranks and or try to flip an offensive tackle. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And I think the way and I to answer the question more directly, the way you get better is develop a better offensive line. I really can't think of any other way to do it. Right. And I think I mean, it's not like they don't have good offensive linemen coming in here in the 2023 class if they all stay committed. I mean, uh, Williams is, mm-hmm. is, is a, is a top prospect at the offensive tackle spot, um, and look to, you know, maybe do some good things. So it's, it's not like it's the end of the world. And also just looking at the depth going into this year, I mean, I think even James Franklin said, this is the most depth they've had along the offensive line. I mean, you have maybe not a, a confident, uh, second string. But you have a group of guys that you're like, yeah, they could maybe do something if they have to. Like, you know, you, you got a guy like J.B. Nelson now who you're not really forced to play as a Juco. Remember a couple of years ago, I mean, if there's a Juco offensive tackle coming in, they were like expecting him to play right away. I can't even remember the dude's name. Now, who was the offensive tackle? And it was in 2015? Paris, Paris, Paris Palmer. Palmer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he came in and he was expected to, hey, you got to play right away. And he obviously wasn't ready. So you don't have to do that kind of stuff anymore. So. I know those seem kind of like baby steps, but the depth, especially if Olu Fashano can can step up and be the guy, you feel really good about where you are at the two tackle spots, and you have a bunch of depth between guard to guard that you feel pretty good about. And you can mix and match some pieces, and a guy like Landon Tangwall who can bounce to the outside if you need him to makes you feel a little bit better too. So you're at the point now where, Maybe even last year or definitely two years ago, if one guy went down, you were in trouble trying to figure it out. I'm not saying things are going to be great if one guy goes down, but you have a couple more you know, tools in your toolbox that you can kind of play around with than you maybe you had previously. And I can't stress enough how important it is for these guys to be in the same offensive system for a second year. I, it helps the quarterback. It helps receivers. It helps running back and all that stuff. But also, and I guess I have two points to this, but it really helps the offensive line. And it's not even just the X's and O's thing. Like, it's it's a confidence thing. And it's, you know, knowing what you're doing. And, and by the way, I think Juice Scruggs is going to be great at the center spot as far as communicating and relaying this information. I think having a knowledgeable and experienced and a guy like Juice Scruggs or what he's – I don't know who posted the nice article. You know what? I think it was in Blue White – uh, illustrated preview magazine had a whole thing about what he went through in the car accident and all that stuff. Um, I highly recommend you check that out. I mean, you, you feel better when you have a guy like that at center. And I think that helps 
the entire offensive line. And my other point is a guy like Nick Singleton, the guy who you're running, and I think maybe um, I don't know who there was a quote from an offensive lineman a couple years ago talking about blocking for Saquon, and compared to blocking for somebody else. When you're blocking for a guy like Nick Singleton or a Katron Allen. And and potentially even a Kavon Lee, where you know they're going to run hard and they're going to, you know, you don't know what they're going to do because they're that good. That makes the offensive line also block better. I mean, that's just a fact. So I think you're going to see an improvement this year, JP Lines. And I think seeing improvements is only going to make re- going into you know different places recruits households easier to get more guys in the future. Uh, offensive line is a place where you have to kind of show the proof in the pudding. And Penn State really hasn't had that yet. Um, and it's kind of impressive that Phil Trotwine was able to, you know, not just get Berkmeyer, not just get Williams, um, but also already get Cooper Cousins in a 2024 class. So there's good things coming. Um, it's just you have to look for them. And I, I feel like if you're anti-Penn State or you think we're too pro-Penn State, you're going to be like, well, you're just full of shit. And that's fair. Um that's also why James Franklin hasn't brought up the offensive line being a strength this year. And I was uh, talking to Adam Bittner on Twitter, and people would consider it probably arguing. But um, And he was like, oh, James Franklin didn't double down on the offensive line being good. I'm like, what do you want him to say? Do you want him to, for a third year in a row, say, yeah, they're going to be the strength of the team? No one's going to believe him anyway, so why even say anything? Right. Um, so I just think that's it's a silly argument when you're – picking at things that Franklin did or didn't say um, as far as those things go. But I think, honestly, the offensive line, at least from a depth perspective, I feel better about them than I did the last two years. And that's all I really have to say about that. Let's go to the next question, Sean. Um, And this was a good question. Maybe this was asked before. I'm not really sure if we just missed it one time, but I thought maybe we had talked about this before. But I thought we'd double check and maybe come back to it if we we had talked about it. Um, and that's from Grant Lachat. And Grant, I know for sure, put a review in the Apple Podcast. Um, so thank you, Grant. I sent him a sticker already. I don't know if he is Duke the Nuke or not, but if he is, thank you. And he asks, if you could replace Clifford with any quarterback in the Big Ten, not named C.J. Stroud, who would it be and why? I saw this question on social media earlier this summer and thought it was interesting. I love asking this question to my friends who dislike Sean Clifford because they can't answer. Sean, I'll go first on this one. Um, I see the point on what he's trying to say. And from an experience level, I, I get it. I wouldn't go as far as taking a couple guys that maybe people would throw out there. Um I don't think I would take J.J. McCarthy or a Cade McNamara before Sean Clifford, to be honest with you. I don't think I would take Tanner Morgan over Sean Clifford. I don't think I would take um, Peyton Thorne. Oh. Okay. I think I would... Right now, based off what we know about Sean Clifford, not trying to speculate into what he could do this year because you know i'm a fan of what he could do this year from what we have you know knowledge base not projecting base i would say only quarterbacks in the big 10 i would take over sean clifford right now peyton thorne from michigan state uh tagovailoa 
from Maryland. Even though he has interception issues, I think the upside on him is pretty incredible. I struggle a little bit with Cade McNamara because I know he has obviously led them to a Big Ten championship. I don't think it was because of him. I think besides C.J. Stroud, i go Peyton Thorne. I would go Tagovailoa. I would say I could understand the argument for Tanner Morgan, and I could understand the argument for Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. But I think I would take Sean Clifford over both O'Connell and Morgan just because he has a little bit more of the ability to run with his legs. And I think that's important in this Penn State offensive line. So I guess I would just say Peyton Thorne and Tagovailoa. What are your thoughts? Am I missing someone big? Interesting. Um, I don't think I'm missing anyone crazy big. No, I don't think so either. So I'll start with who I would take him over. Uh, Tanner Morgan. I don't. I think Tanner Morgan was a one-hit wonder. I think he had 2019. Struggled in 2020. Struggled in 2021. I just kind of think he was in a great situation. And he made the most of it, to his credit. But after that, he hasn't been very good. Um, I might take him over Peyton Thorne. Peyton Thorne had a very, very good situation last year. With Kenneth Walker Walker III as his running back. Um, He had a... And it was just a gritty team. I really liked the way Michigan State played last year. He had some weapons on the outside who were going to be playing in the NFL. So it's close, but I would probably take Cliff over him. Cade McNamara. Now, J.J. McCarthy, I haven't seen enough of him yet to to say definitively. I think he's more talented than Cliff. But that so was Christian Hackenberg. And I would take Sean Clifford over Christian Hackenberg any day of the week. Um, I would probably take Cade McNamara just based on accomplishments. And it's sort of, I'll bring Tom Brady into this. Now, I have a lot of Tom Brady takes. I don't think he's the GOAT. That's probably my most controversial take on this podcast. I think he benefited from playing in a great system for many, many years. He always had a great defense. All of his conditions were always perfect around him. It was sort of that way with Cade McNamara and in Michigan last year. Now, of course, Tom Brady is better than Cade McNamara. But Cade had all the conditions right. But you still need to be a winner. He didn't make the big mistakes. He beat Ohio State. He won the Big Ten Championship. And there's got to be something to be said about that. And he accomplished a lot more his team accomplished a lot more than any of Sean Clifford's teams that he's led. Uh, so I would take Cade McNamara over him, but it's close. I would also take Tolia Tungavailoa over him. Um, again, I hear you on the interception struggles. Uh, I would also say Cliff could struggle with interceptions, but he did have less interceptions than, T- than Tolia last year. I just like Tungavailoa's potential a little bit better. Um... Aiden O'Connell, I would take over Cliff. Uh, we talk a lot about the struggles with the run game. Um, I had no idea how bad Purdue struggled running the ball last year. He's O'Connell's asked to do a lot in that offense, and he's able to do it really, really well. And he was looking over his shoulder for a lot of last year because there was a quarterback competition that really went into the season, and I thought he did a really, really good job managing all those circumstances. 
Uh, but beyond that, I really wouldn't take anybody else over 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 Cliff. Um, and is the quarterback talent in the Big Ten gonna knock your socks off? Not necessarily, but I could understand what I, I could understand what uh, Grant was trying. You know what he's trying to say to his friends, because when people talk about Cliff, you, people not on this podcast. But it'll be, oh, he sucks. He can't do this. He can't do that. And it's like, all right, but name some guys better. And I've also found a lot of people really, really struggle with that question. Being that he is clearly better than, in my mind, eight or nine of the other quarterbacks in the conference. I think it offers a good, important perspective. Um, I, sure. I think this is a good, this is a good question. It's interesting that you like McNamara more, and I like Thorne more, and you go with you. You see, I'm on the fence with O'Connell, um, and again, it's come back to: Have I seen enough of O'Connell where I'm feeling great? Like I know he had a lot of yards last year, but he also had one of the best receivers in the Big Ten. You can make that argument for Sean Clifford too, um, and David Bell, but I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sold on on O'Connell yet. I guess we'll know a lot more. Um, in a couple of weeks, in less than a month here. So I think it's a good question, and I think it's an important one because it makes you realize, okay, yeah, maybe things aren't as bad as people. When, when Sean Clifford's healthy, it's I, I would be hard-pressed to say I would want. If you could promise me Sean Clifford stays healthy for the whole season, i take him over Cade McNamara. I think i take him over um, Tanner Morgan and Aiden O'Connell. Just because I think when he's healthy, he's he can be a stud, especially now with all the experience he has. Um, but I thought that was an interesting question. I thought it was a good question. Um, thank you to for, to Grant and JP Lyons. Good questions this week. Yes, both very good questions. Uh, we appreciate that. We like having the conversation with you guys. It's not us talking down to you guys. So let's have that conversation more often. Um, Sean, is there uh, any other recruiting things you want to mention just briefly before we talk about some of the media day stuff? I, if you don't have anything, that's fine. Um, we knew this wasn't going to be a he- really heavy recruiting episode. No, you know, there's not a whole lot going on right now. KV on Keys decides at the end of the month, and we, we talked about him a lot in the past few weeks, uh, but there hasn't really been a whole lot going on um, since... You know, last week we covered Yazid Haynes decommitting, going to Georgia, and Evan Link obviously going to Michigan. So, no, not a whole lot in my mind to get into right now. Yeah, we talked about Smolik, too, and, and his potential for maybe landing at Penn State yep. in last episode. Yep. Uh, there's some 2024 and some 2025 guys, I believe, on campus last weekend. Um, and so, you know, keep an eye on that kind of stuff. But otherwise... Let's talk about Penn State Media Day this past week, like literally yesterday. Um, I came out of it, Sean, from everything I read, optimistic, extremely actually optimistic, more optimistic than I thought I would be feeling at this point in the season. You know, I FaceTime, you know, my grandparents and and whoever, and they're always, you know, they they know that I talk about Penn State football on this podcast, and they, you know, they know I'm I'm obviously a huge. Uh, into Penn State football. And so they asked me, you know, they go, well, how do they look this year? What are they going to do? Are they going to be good? And I love that question. Is Penn State going to be any good this year? 
Well, I don't know. Like, well, you want me to talk about it for 45 minutes? Because if you if so, then just listen to the podcast every week, dude. Like, come on. No. Um, but I already told you I was feeling decently good about this team last couple months. But then after all the things we read, and they're still coming out, by the way, um, like Nittany Sports now keeps tagging us and tweets about articles about everything to do with Penn State football, which is awesome for them for putting out so much content. But uh, everything you're reading right now, Sean, it just seems super positive. And more positive, I think, than I thought I was going to feel at this point, to be honest with you. Because let's just start with the defensive line. And just remember how poor the defensive line was during the Illinois game and where we were at in the Illinois game, I guess, 10 months ago. And now how we feel about the defensive line at this point. And I was talking with our friend Higgins. We were texting about it. And I said this, and I think this is an important part. Like, you can have a really good defensive line. And it can hide, it can mask how mediocre your linebackers might be. But if you have really good linebackers, but a mediocre defensive line, your linebackers are not going to flourish. And we, we saw that in the Illinois game. I think that's an important part of this because... You look, if we have the defensive line, we think we could have. I think a lot of people are starting to see now because Hakeem Beeman at the defensive tackle position missed last year. Everyone, I mean, that was the Beeman conversation show yesterday. Like, everybody is talking about Hakeem Beeman. Um, He's no longer like a dark horse, I feel like. If you choose Hakeem Beeman to be the breakout performer, I think that's almost, you know, picking low bearing fruit at this point because. He's going to probably be a stud. You have P.J. Mustafer coming back from an injury, and he looks to be really good. He passed his condition test and all that stuff. He looks to be pretty close to 100%. Adisa Isaac said he's not quite 100%, but he's really close. Obviously, the defensive end missed all of last season, and he's back. You have Nick Tarburton, who's played probably the most football, except for P.J. Mustafer, as far as those starting four go. Um, and, and he's more of a run-stopper guy, but that's okay because you have Chop Robinson, you have Denai Dennis Sutton. You have uh, Zane Durant now. I mean, well, the defensive tackle spot in general. Uh, Devon Ells, um, Kaziah Izzard. Uh, oh, and I forgot Smith Bilber on the outside too. So you have a bunch of guys, and I just name dropped a bunch, but they all are really good and have played a decent amount of football for the most part and have at least shown glimpses of excitement. And if you think about what that means from a linebacker perspective, hey, all of a sudden our defensive tackles are eating up the offensive line. Their guards aren't getting to the next level. I don't care if you have Jonathan Sutherland back there. I am assuming if he's not getting blocked with his safety speed, he maybe not won't make the tackle every time, but at least he'll get back there and slow the guy down. No, but I mean, in all seriousness, like the linebackers are going to play really good if your defensive line's really good. And can you imagine a guy like Curtis Jacobs being able to fly around and and just be unevaded to the to the ball carrier like that gets me excited and so I guess coming out of uh, Penn State Media Day, Sean, I I think the defensive line had me most optimistic as far as what this defense could be, and all, all, we hadn't even talked about all the different things Manny Diaz might have going on schematically, and, and he loves the stunts and the t the texas and the x's and all that stuff, and he has defensive linemen going three you know two to three gaps over on certain stunts. I mean. That's a, and he has the athletes to do that at the defensive line spot. So I think that was the biggest thing for me is why I'm so optimistic about this defense. 
uh, coming out of Penn State Media Day. What, what was something maybe that you were like, wow, I, I feel a lot better about this group? Or, or what, what's got you feeling good right now, Sean? Well, I share your optimist. Yeah, I share your optimism about the defensive line. Uh, I think PJ Mustafer commented that this might be a piece part of it, so you have to take that into consideration. That this could be one of the great defensive lines to ever be at Penn State. Um, I got to, I you know, I obviously got to see it to believe it. But yeah, I I also agree with the scheme and hearing positive reviews about Hakeem Beeman, who was out all, all last year, and Adisa Isaac as well, coming back. Um, I think you got to be excited about the defensive line. And you're 100% right that a great defensive line will always mask the problems of the linebackers. And the linebackers still have to go make plays but and, you know, make the tackle. But they're going to be able to blow a lot of that stuff up. And they could keep the, like you say, keep those guards from going to the second level. And that's going to open up so much for the linebackers. And you asked the question earlier about Curtis Jacobs, you know, about moving to the will. I think it's for that. Because in an aggressive Manny Diaz-style defense, you have an athlete like Curtis Jacobs. He's going to be able to really patrol the whole field. And I, and I, and I think that's the plan with him. Um, yeah, uh, I was also happy to hear positive reviews about receiver depth. Now, this is something we've talked a, a lot about. Uh, and how we, although you can't replace a Jahan Dotson, a guy who went so high in the draft last year, you could replace him in the aggregate. When you have a guy like Malik Mega who... Impressed us quite a bit last year. We have Mitchell Tinsley coming in, who got he might be the leading receiver on the team this year. Uh, there's a possibility. So hearing positive reviews that uh, confirming that uh, James Franklin himself confirming that they feel really good about uh, the wide receiver group. Uh, they seem a lot more confident in the back of quarterbacks, which uh, we know how important that is. Uh, from the Iowa game last year. Yeah, so there seems to be quite a bit of optimism about this team as a whole. And I personally like what James Franklin's saying about the offensive line, that he's just going to say they got to show it on the field. I like that. And I think a lot of the fans, depending on how you read it, I think a lot of the fans are going to like it too, that it doesn't feel like they're being sold a bill of goods. They're just being told they got to see it on the field. And I think fans appreciate that. Right. Yeah, I agree with that too. And and the receiving depth is something. I mean, they, they said straight up, like, we think we might have more depth than we had last year. And we feel better about the guys. I mean, we talked about the, the three and we've talked about the three guys afterwards, but I mean, you talk about Parker Washington and what he could do. And Keandre Lambert-Smith and Mitch Tinsley as kind of the, the starting three. But then we've heard a lot of good things about Harrison Wallace, the third, and what he could do, especially from uh, – he seems like he could be – this is probably a way too big of a comparison, but I'm getting like Plexico Burris vibes, like red zone threat kind of dude, the way he can you know high point the ball. Who knows where he's going to fit into all that. You've got Malik Mega, like you mentioned, and is he going to take that next step because – some people argue he, as far as athletic ability go, he's the most athletic one of all of them. Um, and then 
if that wasn't enough, um, why can't I think of the third guy I want to talk about that's backing up everybody? Although Caden Saunders is at receiver. Um, Caden Saunders has done some good things too, but there's someone else that I wanted to mention. Uh, Wallace Clifford, Liam Clifford. uh... Um, Dotton? Oh, Jaden Dotton. Yeah, I've heard some good things about him too. Yeah. I mean, he had a, he probably had the most impressive blue and white day. Yeah. So, yeah. so you talk about all these different guys and, and their ability and it's just like, well, maybe they'll be okay. And I'm always the one to believe if you have multiple guys that can do something, it's going to make your life a lot easier. And we haven't even talked about the tight end position, but if, if everyone can't focus on just Jahan Dotson, it's going to make everyone's life a lot easier. And, it comes back to it when Sean Clifford's healthy and he can know what he, where he wants to go with the football beforehand. He's really, really, really good. Um, so I feel good about that. I, you know, we, we talked a little about, about things we wanted to change or improve at the beginning of the, sh- the episode today. Um, but it, there seems to be, well, let's talk about, cause we haven't talked about it very much. So I'll, I'll hold off on that. Let's talk about the kicking situation, Sean, because they did get to see some kicking situations. Um, I believe Jake Pinnaker went four for four in the setting that they saw. It appears that right now uh, Jake Pinnaker is the le- slightly leading for the kicking place kicking duties. Although Stacy Collins, a special teams coach, said they're not against doing, you know, having one guy for shorter kicks and one guy for longer kicks, which I'm not a huge fan of, but that's whatever. Um, and Barney Amore is leading the way right now. The purple punter is leading the punting competition right now, which I was actually a little surprised with, but I guess he does have the most playing experience. Um, but that's a special teams situation. What are your thoughts there, Sean? Interesting. Because I agree with you. I think last last week or two weeks ago, we touched on, we thought it was Biquetta's job to lose, being that he's a scholarship guy and all that. But that's that's pretty cool, I think, that Barney O'Moore could hold on and be the starting punter. Uh, and as long as it's the best guy and they find a way to get us out of trouble and put it put the defense in a good spot, yeah, whoever the best guy is. I don't care what the accolades are in high school. It really doesn't matter at this point. Uh, kicking, I agree with you. I don't like the long kick. Like, this guy does long kicks. This guy does short kicks. Uh, I just think it's silly <laughs> when you see, like, just just settle on a kicker. That that that's how I feel about it. It's a whole different thing having one guy do uh, for place kicking duties and another guy does uh, kick, it works on kickoffs. Um, you know, I have a guy kick field goals and extra points as a po- and not do and not work on the kickoff coverage, but um. I kind of thought it was going to be Sahadak, but I could also, I understand why they would go with Penninger, and they seem to always just track every single kick that each kicker makes, and whoever's ahead, they go with the starting kicker. So as long as they're doing it that way, I'm fine with it. I just, I wish they would settle on one guy for uh, kicking extra points and all the field goals. 
Yeah. I, I guess I could see if they're like super duper long, like Hail Mary situation, or it's a 55 yeah, like yard field goal before the half or something. But if we're talking about Jake, if Jake Pinniger can't consistently nail 40 plus field goals, then why, why are we having that conversation? So who knows there? I know that they did do a, like a hurry up huddle, like last second, send a field goal unit on. And I don't know if it went in or not, but Jake Pinniger hit it off the upright. So I'm, I don't know if it ended up being, Stacey Collins obviously wasn't happy with that regardless. Um, so keep an eye on that. I just don't think, I don't know. When we were watching Blue and White, and we've said this on a couple episodes before, but the ball came off of Sahadek's leg differently than than Jake Pinnaker's. And I guess we'll just leave it at that for now. But they are going to do it based off statistics. So it doesn't matter what our eyes say. It's going to you know end up being whatever the numbers say. Um, overall, Sean, though, I thought, well, obviously it's nice to see Penn State football back in action. But I thought overall we can't come out of this Penn State media day. And even I think Ben Jones, I mean, let me just just quote whatever Ben Jones said. Uh, from statecollege.com, because he just straight up said something that I thought was interesting. And by the way, ESPN, um, their football index has Penn State going 9-3 and three with losses to Michigan, Ohio State, and Auburn. So um, I guess ESPN's on the 9-3 and three train. Um, let me see if I can find what Mr. Jones said, because I, I did think, yeah, here it is. This is what Ben Jones said after media day yesterday. Quote, have to say that I'm generally not been high on Penn State doing anything remarkable this year, but today swung me in a bit more positive direction. Schedule is rough. Offensive line is a big unknown. Have probably overlooked the strengths a bit too much, though. Generally, I think getting to nine wins and heading to a solid bowl would be a real strong end cap to the Clifford air. That doesn't require too much heavy lifting, but means a lot of good things happened. And I thought that was a fair astute way to put it like yeah there's question marks but maybe i mean a lot of people are talking about penn state losing to purdue and obviously we're not going to talk too much about purdue because we're going to be talking about purdue a lot in a little bit but it just penn state's a three-point favorite on the road to start the year and i guess you know what going 11 11 the past two years you warrant that but it just seems like people are forgetting the amount of talent that this team has overall and the, I mean, Franklin straight up said this is some of the most depth they've had over the last couple of years, um, and that that makes you kind of feel pretty good. So, uh, Sean, any other media day thought? Oh, I wanted to talk about Nick Singleton. Um, probably should yes. with this. Yep. Um, he seems like he's the guy, Sean. He seems. I am, and I, we were getting this from the beginning, but now that we are in summer camp, it feels. Um, I'm getting Saquon Barkley vibes. If you ever go back and remember the, what we were hearing out of summer camp when Saquon Barkley was there and what he could do well and what he couldn't do well, it's like the same thing. Like He is tough enough in between the tackles, and he has enough getaway speed to break the big ones. And that was something that James Franklin reiterated. Was like, I mean, Maybe it was James Franklin. It might have been Jawan Sider. Might have been, actually, you know, it might have been your session. I don't forget, I remember exactly who said it, but somebody was like, look, sometimes our offensive line had the holes – and A, we didn't hit them hard enough, or B, we just, you know, it was an eight-yard run, but it probably should have been like a 25-yard run. Um, and they think Singleton can do that, and he's already shown that. Uh, the only knock really has been perhaps his um, his pa- pass-blocking ability, which I believe Katron Allen has been heralded for. So the the two freshmen are uh, are looking pretty good right now for, for Penn State's running back and for Jaywan Sider. 
yeah, the kids are all right, as they say. Um, and I remember being at a social, uh, which for Penn State lingo, that means a party, for a club that I was at in school uh, going into my junior year. And I was talking to my friends right before this, right before the season started. And we all kept saying, man, we're hearing a lot about Saquon Barkley. Is he going to live up to the hype and all that? And obviously he did. And it just feels the same exact way with Nick Singleton. And it's common, like the, the pass blocking thing. That's common with a lot of guys right out of high school. Um, a lot of running backs need work on their pass blocking because a lot of them didn't have to pass block a whole lot in high school because they got the ball so much. Okay, Trent Allen went to IMG Academy. And for those unfamiliar with it, it's basically a giant, it, it's a football factory. So they, the, the coaches are great there and they work on all that, on all those fundamental things. Uh, so that'll come. And there's just a whole lot of excitement from Nick Singleton right now. And it seems like, I don't know, but let me, I want to know if you feel the same way. Like coaches are kind of cautious when talking about him because I don't think they want to be too over the top with their praise because they know they have something really, really special there. And while they talk about how he's a great talent and everything, they always go back to, well, you know, we have a lot of depth there and all that. I think the sky is the limit for him and the coaches really know it. I get a lot of journey Brown vibes from him as, as far as breakaway speed goes, but obviously the guy that everybody's going to comp is Saquon for obvious reasons, because of that hype coming in. Um, Sean, I think the reason they're doing that is you're trying to keep everybody happy. Right. And, if oh, of course, I totally. Kevon Lee, if Kevon Lee is hearing all this, and and by the way, Kevon Lee is probably going to start against Purdue. But if they're hearing all this stuff, like what does a Devin Ford think at this moment? Here, you know, if there's a bunch of talk about it. now, here, here's the thing: all of the media people and and us included like to talk about the new guys. That's just that's just a matter of the fact. I mean, that's just how humans are. Uh, we like talking about the brand new shiny things. And so we like to talk about Nick Singleton's, the Deny Dennis Sutton's of the world, because they're new. They're something different. And that's just the nature of the beast, but it does seem different. Like, this guy does seem to have maybe that next year. Because remember, I mean, it's not like he's that. I mean, he is a little bit more touted than Kevon Lee, than Noah Kane, than Devin Ford, than Ricky Slade even. But not by much. I mean, those guys were top-tier guys coming in, too. Um but he seems to be – those guys didn't get that same conversation in the summer camp, right? Like, we were never hearing, like, oh, yeah, Ricky Slade's the next, like – like, and that – maybe that's the what you should be hearing, right? So – Right. And if you're not hearing it, maybe you should be more worried. I don't know. Um, and not that Ricky Slade didn't have his moments, but obviously he was – it was I think, what, Ricky Slade was the number one running back at number one, out of Virginia? Yeah. And yeah. so you expect – you expect to hear the things you're hearing from Nick Singleton, I guess. Um, any other thoughts, Sean, before we kind of head into the preview talk for the day? Well, um, just on Franklin's comments on depth, uh, saying that he wants to get more guys in, and while he loves shutouts, he wants to be able to cycle more guys in and get them more experience. 
I've noticed a pattern with him. He seems to say that going in every single year, and it just never really comes to fruition. And it's not always his fault. Um, you want to be ahead by so many points to get those young guys playing time. And if you're up by 20 points in the fourth quarter, I mean, yeah, you could put the young guys in, but if they give up a score, all of a sudden it's a two, two-square game. And then you got to put the starters back in. So sometimes the circumstances don't present themselves that way where they could get in. But I got to say, there have been times where I thought, well, they could put the young guys in here. And you probably don't give up a lead. So I would like, I would like to see that happen this year see those young backups get some time so when they first get in there, it's not in a high-pressured situation because someone got hurt. Right. I would like to see more live bullets for more guys. Yeah, And it keeps and them happy. The, the, the odd thing I heard about that, though, to me, was more of the fact that they were calling it an ego thing. And I thought that was an interesting way to put it. I don't know if that's exactly how I would put it and how they were saying, oh, we'd like to preserve... Mm-hmm the shutout or we like to preserve a bigger lead. I'm like, was that really part of it? Because I don't, that's something maybe on your NCAA video game on EA sports that you're trying to preserve, but it, that should have never, never been part of the conversation ever. Yeah. Um, so that to me was, that was, was a little bit like, was that really the reason? Because if we're really concerned about now, we know James Franklin to a certain degree does care about that stuff. I mean, he iced the kicker against Georgia state, uh, so yeah. it does it does matter to him to a certain degree and whatever I mean that's fine I I like that competitive side of him I think that's an important side to have but also it's very important to get your backup quarterback some reps and so maybe you know you could argue if if Roberson um had more or uh more reps throughout his career before the Iowa game maybe things wouldn't have gone so poorly I don't know. Um, it, 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 those are those in hindsight moments, but yes, I'm glad that they're going to do that moving forward, but I just was surprised at the way he kind of put it because if that was the reason that seems really silly. So I don't know that, that kind of drove me or, or kind of rubbed me perhaps a little bit of the wrong way because I just didn't think ego was ever a, the reason. Like if you're up 24, nothing. I mean, that's like you to your point, not a huge it's a lead, but it's not a huge lead. And we've seen those leads dissipate fast. And and uh, go back to like 2015, I think Penn State was beating Nebraska pretty convincingly. And then they put backups in and I think they end up winning like 55, 40 something or something stupid like that. 48, 35. I don't know. Yeah. Nebraska scored a bunch and they asked him about that. And he said, oh, don't worry, that won't happen again. So I don't know if. That was because I mean he was doing it then like he had all the backups in against Nebraska at that point and then they gave up a couple scores and then people were like oh that's a little bit closer than you'd want it to be and he's like don't worry that won't ever happen again so I don't know if that's because of that kind of game or back and forth we go but I think he had it right the first time back whenever that game was so right yeah and those people who really care about that I think they're silly who cares if you only won by fifteen if you dominated them the whole game. And then your backups got in, and they get they their starters scored some points on them. Who cares? You won a game by 15 points in the Big Ten. Just take the W and go home. I think it's well worth it. But that that's my personal opinion. 
Yeah, and you're not even talking about how valuable those Big Ten reps are for those younger guys. I mean, that's yeah. you can you only get so many reps, and that's why. And, and Franklin's always been this way. That's why I'm a hundred percent for not changing the offense or not changing the defense when you have a big lead. Like, put the backups in, but run your offense because you only get in in college football, especially you only get so many reps and so many practice reps of live action nowadays for health reasons. So use all anything you can to run your offense, to perfect things, to get the backups, some real live, like, yeah, you don't need to be a rude about it, but you, there's a way to, to run your offense and, and still do go through all your checks. And if you're going to go fast, go fast and then get to the line and maybe calm things down. But there's ways to at least get meaningful reps, even in, in blowouts for your backups. Um, and I think that's an important, I guess moving forward, it's going to be better. I don't know. I didn't even think that was a big deal though. So I just thought that was all weird to be honest with you. Like, I don't think anyone pointed to the Iowa game. Like we lost because we weren't putting our backups in with more time. Like, yeah, there's been times like I go back to like Iowa or, or, or there's a couple games, I guess when Saquon stayed on the field in the second half where people are like, Oh, why is Saquon still out there? And it was like 35, nothing, but it, it just, the third quarter had just started. Um, I'm a firm believer, Sean. It's kind of a rabbit hole we've gone down now, but I'm a firm believer. You play the first half 100% balls to the wall. Like, no matter what, I don't care if it's 35 nothing. you play that first half 100% with your starters. You have to get a full half of normal football in. Then, and now if it's like 42 nothing against Idaho, maybe you don't play your starters much in the second half. But typically, I would argue... I want my starters on offense and my starters of defense to have one more good drive in the second half. And then if that's good, then they're done. Fine. Like if our offense gets the ball to start the second half, I want them to go all the way down the field and score a touchdown. If they do that, done. Easy, good. And it's like 38-0, whatever, or even 28-0, fine, whatever. You're done. You're happy, good. Defense, same thing. You better come on the field with the same tenacity out of the halftime, knowing you have a big lead, and shut the door get the ball back to our offense, and then we'll start cycling some of the backups. That's my thought. Yeah, I generally agree with that. Um, I think that's what Bama does, too. I think they play a full half. Because I remember when Tua broke his hip, it was right at the end of the first half. It was the last play. It was third down. He threw it away, and the guy landed on his hip, and he broke it. But that was going into halftime. So I'm pretty sure that's similar to what a lot of teams do. Yeah, and people are still mad at Nick Saban for that, by the way. Right. Yes. But at the same time, I understand why he did. They were up three or four scores. And you're trying to put the game out of reach. And I understand why you're trying. I understand that. Um, But when it's late in the third quarter, the beginning of the fourth quarter, if we're up, 30 points on a team. Yeah, I don't want to see Sean Clifford on the field. I don't want to see Parker Washington or or Nick Singleton if he's the starter by then or any of any of the starters. That's a it's just a good time to get people on the field and it's much easier going over gate going over film when there are a bunch of guys having film having that are getting their film graded. It leads to them being happier, and it makes them feel like they were a part of that. They're a part of a win on top of getting those valuable reps. So, yeah, 
get the young guys reps. It's not that complicated. And who cares what people, a lot of them might have a gambling issue, by the way. Who cares what they think? If you, if you don't cover the spread, it doesn't matter if you cover the spread. Win the game. Yeah. Well, let's move on to previews because we're already just in an hour. Uh, let's talk Indiana, which, by the way, Penn State beat Indiana 24 nothing last year um, in a game where maybe you thought maybe we could get some backups in. But that's also an important part, too. Like, you, you get a big lead if your offense whoops some butt early. Then you get more – I mean, talk about Villanova. Like, Villanova game, we didn't get as much – backups in like maybe you'd want so like against an ohio yep. you would love an opportunity to make sure the offense is good before you play auburn then rest them before um playing auburn so those are the things that kind of matter um but let's talk indiana indiana in 2020 very good 2021 very bad i mean just terrible two and ten oh and nine in the big ten and kind of the dream or season they were on and, and the upward trend that they had Going in the 2021 did not last very long. A lot of it, look, I'm a huge Tom Allen fan. I like him a lot. I think he's a good dude. I think he finds a way to get his guys motivated. This game's on the road at Indiana. And um, I like him as a person and as a coach. Indiana's a tough place to win, especially with the way the divisions are right now. Um, You think it's hard for Penn State to win the division. Imagine having to also play Penn State. So, it's not easy. They had five new assistants brought in, and they brought in 12 transfers from the tra- uh, to the transfer portal. So this is a brand-new team. They got a new offensive coordinator in Walt Bell. They have a new defensive coordinator in Chad Witt, Wilt, who came over from Minnesota. Um, they have a new quarterback from Missouri, Connor Baslick. They have new running backs. Their top four running backs are all gone. Two running backs. Uh, one came from Auburn, Sean Shivers, which, by the way, is a great name. And the other guy, Josh Henderson from UNC. They have two new receivers, which, by the way, if you haven't counted, I've said new like how many times now. Um, one guy, another great name, wide receiver Cam Camper. Cam Camper. Um, how many names do you know? The full first name fits into the last name. I don't. That's 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 a tough question for people to figure out. Cam Camper. I don't What's even know how name? many. I don't know how many names you could even do that for. He comes from Trinity Valley Valley uh, Junior College in Texas. Uh, DJ Matthews did come back from last year or did play last year, but he only played in four games before his knee injury. Emory Simmons also comes from UNC. He had 30 catches in his three seasons at UNC, so didn't do much there. Uh, but two new receivers, two new running backs, a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator, a new defense coordinator. Yeah, there's a lot of new faces. I also want to say offensive line-wise, they're shuffling people around right now. So they got their left guard went to their left tackle spot. Their left tackle went to the right tackle spot. Their right guard went to their center. So they bring three guys back, but none of them are going to be playing the same position they played last year. Um, Offense is really bad. Probably the worst in the Big Ten. Uh, They only ran 3.2 yards per carry. They allowed 32 sacks. They basically didn't do anything good on offense. Uh I don't know how much better they're really going to be. Connor Baslack, not a bad co- player, um, but 23 touchdowns, 17 interceptions in his career. So um, that's not necessarily something you're going to be crazy excited about. I will say the previews are up on YouTube. Uh, the Ohio State preview is doing remarkably well. That was just released on Wednesday. We'll have the Indiana and Maryland preview up. I'll go in order on YouTube um, probably this week. So pay attention to those. Uh, Sean, defense. 
this is something interesting to me. So, like, Tom Allen's a defensive guy. In 2020, they had 20 takeaways in, what, the eight games the Big Ten played, nine games that the Big Ten played. Um, in 2021, Sean, only yeah. nine turnovers. 20 takeaways in that short, abbreviated 2020 season, and only nine in 2021. They went from giving up 20.3 yards per game, or 20 yards, points per game, to giving up 33.2 points per game. Um, that's not good, Bob. And, and they only had five interceptions, which I always like to make the Jair Brown comparison. That Jair Brown, by himself, had more interceptions than the entire Indiana team. More transfers on this side, Sean. Um J.H. Tevis, defensive tackle from California, Berkeley. He had three sacks, eight and a half TFLs. I think he actually could be really good. Uh, Miles Jackson from UCLA. This guy, Miles Jackson, came in from UCLA, is already a team captain, which I thought was pretty impressive. Coming in as a transfer portal um, this spring and is already a team captain. I, I thought that was impressive. Biggest loss on this side, Sean. Micah McFadden, linebacker. That dude was everywhere. Uh, he was really, really good. I think he's the same guy. He's been playing for so long in Indiana. I'm pretty sure – I want to say I, – ooh, I could be wrong. I shouldn't say that. Never mind. I was going to say I think Saquon Barkley stiff-armed him that one time or juked him out on that – like when he one-hand catched, caught it. But I don't think that's the same guy. Maybe it was, but I'm not sure. I'm not certain about that. Um, not sure. Bradley Jennings Jr., another transfer from Miami. He actually was a starter at Miami in 2020. Came over this last year. Didn't play as much for Miami in 2021. Um, so if you haven't caught on yet, lots of transfers, a pretty much a brand new team for Indiana. The only thing I really like about this team as a whole, Sean, is the defensive uh, secondary. Taiwan Mullen got hurt in 2021, but was really good in 2020. Uh, Jalen Williams, he had six interceptions in his career at corner as well. Devin Williams and Brian Fitzgerald, two, two safeties that have some decent experience. So the secondary is not too bad. But everywhere else is just a lot of new faces, like a ton of new faces. Um, I, I did want to mention they do lose Ty Freifogel and Peyton Hendershot um, at, on offense as well. So, uh, Sean, maybe don't go through as much detail because we do have to talk about Rutgers. But generally, overall, what are your thoughts about this Indiana Hoosier team? Yeah, like you said, last year they were not very good. But each year, um, there, there's you know, there are changes. That's Nature of the beast in college football. Uh, I like that Tom Allen is probably going to take a more hands-on approach on defense. Uh, defense is his calling card. I agree with you. I think Tom Allen's a pretty good coach. Um, you know, growing up, Indiana was kind of an afterthought. They were not a good program. And Kevin Wilson, before Tom Allen, and then Tom Allen, they've really made them into something formidable. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to be very good this year. I, they have a lot of question marks um, along the offensive line, um, even at quarterback, um, running back. Um, I do like that they have um, that they have Emory Simmons coming in. He was um, uh, that the he was a Penn State target at one point before he went to North Carolina. Um, so it looks like they really went to work. They really went to work in the portal. Um, we know how the portal could be, though. A lot of re- times there are reasons guys are there. And not all of those reasons are good. Uh, but I understand why they why they decided to uh, pursue the portal. Um, 
new offensive coordinator, uh, Walt Bell coming in after he was the head coach at UMass, and um, Chad Wilt coming in as from he was the defensive line coach at Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota had a good defensive line last year, so hopefully that tran- that will transfer over well for uh, Indiana. Um, and they're going to really miss Micah McFadden. Really like that kid. He was an awesome player. So, yeah, I'm not feeling too positive about Indiana this year. Um, they're going to need a lot of luck. And I think Penn State, although Blooming, uh, Bloomington is historically, even taking uh, 2020 out of it when we lost there, it's just a tough place to go win a game. It seems like the wind is always going at about 100 miles an hour. So you can never. There's no hills. The ball. It's too flat. That's why. Yeah, it, it howls out there, and it's it's a tough place to go win a football game. So it might be closer than the experts think, um, but I think Penn State comes out of this with a W. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be very good this year. I honestly think they'll be the worst team in the Big Ten East. That's my fun fact for you. Uh, I just don't think. You have that. that you just have that too many guys coming in that are new. And yeah, it worked for Mel Tucker. But you're talking about at key positions. Uh, 43.3, 24-7 sports composite average, by the way, for the last four years. That's just a little bit worse than Purdue and Minnesota. But yeah, even, I mean, it's hard to play on the road in the Big Ten. Like, that's just the truth of it. Um, but, and yeah, even a couple of years ago, there were some closer-ish games. Uh, that forced fumble, sack, by a Shaka Tony, maybe. I don't even know who did that. I mean, that made it seem a lot further away, but it, it was a close game out there a couple years um, ago. But yeah, I, I'm not too worried about this Indiana team. Um, they do have a bye week before they play Penn State, so I thought I wanted to add that. Um, and they go and travel. Who do we play before them? We we played these uh, these guys named the Buckeyes. So yeah, awful awful loss. Possibly, yeah. possibly, possibly. Not and no one's going to feel good about, you know what, the the mm. be- this might be a good game if you are a betting guy because coming <laughs> yes. off a potential loss to Ohio State, the, the line might be pretty low depending on what the record is. Might even only be like a three, four, or five point favorite for Penn State. If you feel good about this, right now I would say Penn State wins by more than five. So we'll see. But I'm just saying maybe that's something if you're into betting, the, uh, the line might be kind of low coming off that Ohio State game. So. Just saying, uh, Indiana does yes, play Ohio and, and State by the afterwards, way, my, too. By the way, my comments before, not disparaging all betters out there. I have I have gambled that college football before, too. But it's just when people get mad based off betting. I have a guilty, me off. I got a guilty, <laughs> guilty uh, conscience here, and I got to tell you that uh may have asked our, our friend uh, Higgins to put $50 on Sean Clifford to win Heisman, by the way. <laughs> so, Is he going to do it? I, I, I think he's already done it. And I said, put another oh, 50 yeah, on for it. me. <laughs> because why not? 50 bucks? Why not? Let's have some uh, let's have some fun here. Like I said, <laughs> I've spent $50 on worse things before. Um, let's move over to Rutgers. Which, again, if you're thinking, wait, we don't play Rutgers after Indiana. You're right. We play Maryland. I messed up. But we already all prepared for Rutgers. Um, and so, damn it, we're going to talk about Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers, Sean, will be after Maryland at home. We play at Rutgers, and I'm just going to say this, Sean. Craig Shiano, by the way, if you include his years when he was at Rutgers the first time, this is his 21st year at Rutgers. 
which is nuts. Um, ooh, third year this time around. I think this Rutgers team, by the way, they got to a bowl game technically last year because of an academic abnor- or, uh, abnormality. But uh, I think this Rutgers team is going to beat Indiana. I think maybe it beats someone else they're not supposed to. Their offensive line is an interesting one. They brought in like a bunch of transfer guys. They had, I think they recruited seven offensive linemen in this past recruiting class. So they have a bunch of new talent at the offensive line spot. The offensive line has not been very good for them. Uh, they did lose two offensive, two offensive linemen. One offensive tackle went to UCLA. Another went to Marshall. Uh, he's a guard. They bring in three guys in the transfer portal as well. One from uh, Louisiana Monroe, one from Colorado State, and one from Minnesota. So a lot of different depth there. Just like Indiana, new defensive coordinator and a new defense coordinator from Minnesota. So Wilt was a defensive line coach that went to Indiana. Uh, Joe Hersmick, Hersmick coming over from Minnesota as well. Minnesota had a really good defense last year. We talked about them uh, last ep- or two episodes ago. And... Uh, that's what happens. You have a good defense. All your assistant coaches leave and go somewhere else. Uh, Rutgers offense, worse than the Big Ten on third down. Uh, Noah Vidrell, Verdell, Vedrill, I can never say his name right, went to Noah, to Nebraska with Scott Frost. Originally came over, uh, I guess, what, two years ago now to Rutgers. Not, I'm not crazy about this guy. He, can, he has a little bit of legs, has the ability to run a little bit, um, but nothing crazy. They have another quarterback that they just recruited they think or played a little bit last year uh that well, by the way they had like four guys that threw more than nine passes last year so a lot of guys got a chance to throw the ball at Rutgers um but it'd be interesting to see who ends up I think Noah's gonna end up being the quarterback there uh leading running back Isaiah Pacheco is gone uh my favorite part about this Rutgers offense though Taj Harris from Syracuse comes in I'm a huge Taj Harris fan I think he's actually really good. I guess that would have been like two years ago. He had a really good year for maybe three years ago. He had a good year for Syracuse. Sean Ryan, obviously, are also a wide receiver from West Virginia uh, that came in. So they did some good things there. Uh, defensively, really good secondary. I really like their like, – they didn't have a bunch of great stats, but a lot of experience in their secondary. Avery Young, uh, uh, Kashawn Abraham at, at corner – yeah, they got some good guys. Max Melton is their third-string corner, and he had three interceptions last year. So they've got some guys on the defensive backfield that are pretty good. Linebacker, they lost a lot. Um, and defensive line, also not really that strong either. Uh, yeah, they gave up almost 400 yards on defense last year. They had the worst pass efficiency in the Big Ten last year. But, Sean, this is the only thing, and I'll let you speak. This is the thing that I thought was most interesting about their defense last year. They forced 17 turnovers last year, which is like, oh, shit, that's pretty good. Like, not crazy good, but that's pretty good. But get this. Out of those 17 turnovers, they only had three in 10 of their games. Three in 10 of their games. So in their three other games, they had the other 14, and I think they had six against Indiana. And the rest of them were in the first two uh, weeks of the season. So, or two, yeah, two first two weeks of the season. So, three in ten games. I had to point that out because I was like, holy hell. Like, first off, it's impressive they had that many in those other games. But three in ten games, not great. 
Um, I'm a believer in Greg Schiano and turning things around. I think I saw 17 of the projected starters are now guys that Greg Schiano brought in or recruited uh, himself. So it's almost a Schiano-led team at this point. It took him four years the first time to get them to a winning record. Um, I don't know if they get – they might get the six wins. I think they played Boston College in week one. I think they almost have to win that game if they want to get the ball eligibility. What are your thoughts? Rutgers, I I don't mind them going into this year. I think I think they have a I think they have a chance to possibly build off of last year. Uh, it is very very hard to do a complete rebuild in the Big Ten East, and that's what Greg Schiano is attempting to do. And I think he has laid a good foundation. They've recruited. I mean, they've recruited pretty well since he's gotten there. Uh, around the 40s most years so that's around where you want to be uh they're in a talent-rich region and i think he is instilling a culture and that's being hard nose being a being a tough team being good in the trenches and that's really what he's been trying to instill uh he is a joe paterno disciple fun fact um and oh are we gonna talk or is that where we're going down this episode is that is that where we just wanted to get we just wanted to give joe some love (laughs) who's the uh who's the carolina panthers head coach again matt rule yeah just wanted to throw that out there that's all yeah we want we want to want to want to get into him too yeah let's (laughs) let's let's go down that road right now (laughs) yeah anyway anyway um but nobody's had more success at Rutgers in modern history than greg shiano and he seems that he, and he supposedly has the secret sauce there. Now they have a they have a long way to go, uh, obviously. Um, but there are some things that I like. Um, I don't think Noah Vedral. Vedral. I feel like we've pronounced his name uh, six different we've ways. We pronounce his way wrong every. We found a new Thomas Edison style with the light bulb on ways not to pronounce his name. Yeah, and I also just. Don't think he's a very good quarterback. I, I wouldn't start him. I would move on. Uh, he just never showed me anything. Like you said, he's a good athlete, but that's really all he's shown me in all his time there. I think he's a liability for them. I also like what they did in the transfer portal. I think they're using it the correct way uh, to fill some gaps. Um, Taj Harris, I agree with you. I think he could have a big year for them. Uh, interesting that Johnny Langan is, is their, uh, tight end. Um, he's another guy that also just wasn't a very good quarterback. Um, guy I like for them on their defensive line is Aaron Lewis. He was originally a Michigan commit, uh, actually signed a letter of intent with them, but transferred shortly after, I think before his freshman season and ended up at Rutgers, um, He's a guy that uh, Penn State fans might be a little familiar with from the recruiting trail. Uh, Tyreen Powell, um, he's a young guy that they're expecting a lot out of that linebacker, uh, but they're just not a whole lot of depth there. Uh, Moses Walker, who I think is going to be a really, really good player for them, he unfortunately tore his ACL in spring practice. Uh, he's a guy that Penn State really, really wanted to add last year, and he ended up staying home and going to Rutgers. Um, I agree with you. I think the secondary should be good. 
Uh, they have some legit guys back there in the back and in, in the back four that I think could be that I think could be real uh, contributors for them. Like you said, Max Melton has three interceptions, and um, you know he's a guy that could have some takeaways. So yeah, I'm expecting five or six wins for Rutgers. Like we said, um, like you said previously, that Boston College game is going to be big for them. It looms pretty large. Um, and it's, it's a hard thing for a team like Rutgers to find six wins in the big, in the big 10 East. And it is tough when you're in a complete rebuild, like Greg Schiano is doing right now. And he's only in year three, 2020 was a COVID year. It's difficult. Um, and, but I do expect Shiano to get the most out of his squad, no matter but there might be a limit on how much you could actually get out of it. So I'd be expecting a Penn State dub here as well. Yeah, I think they win, but I tell you what, I think this game is really going to come down to how well Penn State can run the ball. And we'll obviously know a lot more about it, but just based off of what we see from Rutgers secondary, uh, and remember, Rutgers played Michigan Big Ten champion at Michigan last year and only lost by a single possession. So, they and they played Michigan yep. really tough a lot of years, uh, to be fair. But all I'm trying to say is I think Penn State will need to have more of a running game to feel really good about this game. Like, talent-wise, yeah, they, they should probably win this game, no problem. But I just have a feeling that they don't have the running game in that – we're talking, what, November at this point? Um, late October, you have to you have to be able to establish the ground game on the road. And I just got a weird hunch that if Penn State can't run the ball, they're going to be in a dogfight. So we'll obviously know a lot more about this team by then uh, as far as the running game is concerned. But I just have this weird thought that if you could just pound the rock against them, you could walk out with a 25-point dub easy. But if you can't, um, maybe. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to lose, but I think it could be a little bit closer. Yeah, I could see that too. Um, and like you said, in November in the Big Ten, you got to be able to run the ball. Uh, that's those are the uh, those last few games. Those are the championship rounds. So you got to be able to have a good ground game that you can depend on, especially uh, playing at playing on the road. And Rutgers might be playing for a, a bowl spot, so they're going to have something to play for. Uh, late November, and I don't think you're going to see like you've seen in previous years, uh, the Preciano years, where it feels like the Rutgers team is kind of dead because there are a lot of guys that just want the season to be over with and they're, that they might be walking out the door. I don't think that's going to be the case, and I think it could be a tough game for us um, because you know it's gonna, they're going to have a hard-nosed squad. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's a good good estimation to what they're able to do. Uh, we will come back next week and preview Maryland and Michigan State and wrap that up. Because, Sean, we are only, let's look here, one, if you include today, what's well, the sign include today? So next week's show, the week after, and the week after that. we got three more shows before Penn State's first football game against Purdue. So, uh, we'll come back next week. We'll talk Maryland and Michigan State. Then we'll have, I'm thinking more of like a se- uh, a season overview preview um, on the 21st. And then Purdue specific on the 28th. 
Um, so that's kind of what to look forward to. Again, guys, we are going to go to two episodes a week starting basically after the Purdue game. Since Purdue's on Thursday, it doesn't really make sense. But we'll just go Purdue preview on the 28th. We'll have the Purdue game, obviously, on the 1st. We'll come back and recap that on that following Sunday, the 4th. And then we'll get into our two episodes a week where we're going to go Sunday and Thursday. So then we'll come back on the 8th and be talking specifically about Ohio. Um, and that's the plan for the whole season. So Sunday and Thursdays, you know where uh, to be listening. I'll be curious to see, as far as the numbers go, how that Thursday night show does because you only have Thursday and Friday really to listen, and I guess Saturday morning to really listen. Um, so I'm curious how that kind of looks. Um, but that's the plan for right now, at least. Again, guys, we are giving away hardcore Penn State football stickers. All you have to do, drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Show us proof that you did it. We'll read that review on the show, and we'll send you a sticker. Uh, we're doing that for the first 10 people. We've had two so far, maybe three. Um, so get those in sooner than later. We appreciate it. There's been a lot of support lately. If you don't want to do all that stuff, least you could do share it with another penn state football fan uh like we said every week has been setting new records uh, i know i speak for sean when i say it's been awesome to see the support we expect that to continue to grow as we get closer to the penn state football season but sean i mean we woke up this morning got a little fresh of a uh, cold breeze coming in I felt like the fall football season's almost here yeah yeah it is right around the corner guys and like gory said you're going to be getting us two days a week and we're we're excited for the content um and i'm hoping i'm hoping we have i'm hoping we have good things to talk about each week and hopefully it starts with uh, a w against the boilermakers more like boiler down am i right yeah and i i'm just gonna throw this out there a little hint preview teased if you will um i don't think I don't think Penn State's going to struggle as much as as much as other people are saying. I know I'm whispering this. Um, that's just my early thought right now on August 7th. I don't think Penn State's going to struggle with Purdue as much as everyone's leading on to believe. But that's I'm just I'm, that's all I'm going to say for right now. We don't need to go into it, but I'm just going to throw that out there. I like it. We're whispering of a dream. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Whisper of a dream. Um, Sean, any final thoughts before we get on out of here? No, no, I'm just very excited for, for the season to begin. And again, I want to also uh, piggyback off of what Corey said a little bit. Thank you so much for all the reviews and kind words that we've been seeing on social media and on the Apple Podcasts. And thank you for listening. I, we really appreciate that, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, so we'll be back next week. We'll be talking more Penn State football, obviously previewing two more teams i'm sure there'll be a lot more to talk about we'll get more uh feedback from practice throughout the week i'm sure uh, but guys we're getting really really close now so uh yeah i'm excited you're excited everyone's excited so i don't really know um i don't think anybody really knows exactly what to expect as far as the season goes but i think people are are generally getting more optimistic optimism is in the air ladies and gentlemen and that's, yes. that's exciting. It's the time everyone to starts be out zero and zero, baby. Everyone starts out zero and zero. That's all I'm going to say. That's fair. If you're not optimistic at this point, that means you really think the team's going to be awful. <laughs> so, 
So yeah. it's good to see all the optimism because this is a time to be optimistic. And I don't, you got, you obviously can't see this, but it's actually going to end up being the same length as last week's episode. So that's kind of coincidental. Um, thank you to everybody for all the support and for listening. We appreciate you. Uh, for Sean Kane, I am Corey Lestoki. You're listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. Until next time, see you later. Thank you. <laughs>